Dear Father, as we come before you today, we realize that money, giving, all these things are difficult topics for us to listen to, but we pray that you will soften our hearts through the Holy Spirit and give us insight into our true nature and to really perceive ourselves in your eyes and how best we can serve you and honor you and love Jesus with the gifts that you've given us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, is this loud enough? I think it is, right? You can hear me, right? Okay, now one of the things that I really struggle with uh, in uh, doing full-time Christian ministry is uh, emotions. Okay, I, I enjoy preaching, teaching the Bible, leading Bible studies, doing planning administration. But it's hard for me when I have to talk to people about the sad things that happen in their life. Because, you know, I'm a, I'm a snag. You know? I'm a sensitive New Age guy. Right? So, I, I don't like hearing you know, the sad things that pe- happen to people. But I remember... Uh, distinctly, many, many years ago, I was in my previous church and there was a Saturday service and I was sitting there having dinner with this uh, newcomer, she was a lady, and I asked her whether she was a Christian and she said that she was and I said, oh, uh, where do you go to church and, ha- and uh, you know, have you been going to church for long? And she said, no, I, I stopped going to church. So I asked her why and uh, she started crying, you know, there were tears coming down her face and that's when I started feeling really awkward. And she told me that she used to go to church, but at the church that she used to go to, they always asked them to give their money to the church. And if they didn't give, uh, she was made to feel unfaithful. And uh, she was also told that she would not receive God's blessing if she did not give. And she gave and gave and gave all her money, and then she said that she had nothing left. In her own words, she said, I wasted all my money on that church. Those were her words to me. And uh, she was only just coming back to, uh, to church uh, that weekend when I spoke to her. Uh, so as I was listening to her story, I felt really struck by how misunderstood and how mistaught this whole topic of giving is. So last week we looked at the theme and the topic of uh, tithing. Remember last week we looked at tithing and we said that tithing, giving 10% to the church, is not the rule for Christians today because it was like a religious a welfare tax on the nation in Israel in God's time uh, back then. So it's relevant for the people in Israel, but not for us today. But as we begin our session today, and we start a new series on 2 Corinthians starting at chapter 8, we see that we actually come back to the same thing, which is the principles of giving. Now last year we did uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 to 7, and uh, I was going to ask anybody to stand up give a summary of 1 to 7, but I thought that it probably wouldn't be very effective. So I thought that uh, it would be good to refresh ourselves what the, the letters of Corinthians is all about. So if you look at this map, right, okay, so this is the map. Okay, obviously this is very big, but this is uh, modern day Greece, alright? So if you can expand it, the next slide. Okay, so this is modern day Greece, and this is what, Athens, so you, you know Athens, people know what Athens is today, it's Greece. And uh, in the old uh, Roman map, this was the region of Achaia, and uh, Corinth was close to Athens, and this is the region of Macedonia, which is the, like the north of, uh, north of Greece, I suppose. So Corinth, <coughs> during those days, was like a modern seaport. It was like a metropolis, and it was a very important part of the Roman Empire. It was like the capital of this Roman region of Achaia. Okay? And it was the leading city of Greece together with Athens, and they were very powerful, wealthy, and influential. And the same could be said of the Corinthian Christians. They were very rich and wealthy and powerful as well. If, we are, if you remember when we studied 1 Corinthians several years ago, we saw how uh, they had a problem with wealth and power and influence. And Paul, the apostle, had a long history with the Corinthian Christians. Okay? He planted the church in Corinth, 
We know from the Bible he spent at least one and a half years in the city. He made at least three, three visits to the city during his time as, a, as, as an apostle, which was a lot in those days because they didn't have budget airlines. Okay? And he wrote at least four letters to the church, of which we only probably have, uh, we only have two. So next slide. Okay, so we know that uh, looking at 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, that there were probably four letters that were written uh, during the course of his ministry to the Corinthian church. The first letter we don't have, but which was referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I've written you in my letter in the past, right? Not to associate sexually immoral people. So there was another letter which was lost in time. We don't know where it is, but in God's providence, uh, felt that it's not important for us to have. There is the second letter that we do have, which is 1 Corinthians in our Bibles. And there is the third letter, which again we do not have, which is referred to in 2 Corinthians, uh, as the harsh letter. Many commentators see this as a harsh letter, right? Because it caused them a lot of distress. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, if you remember, we, he, he wrote, Paul wrote, I wrote as I did so, that when I came, I should not be distressed uh, by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all, that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So this was a harsh letter that was hard for Paul to write and hard for the Corinthians to receive. Again, we do not have this letter. And then we have the fourth letter, which is today we're looking at uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, uh, over the course of their association and their history, uh, Paul and the Corinthian church had a very difficult relationship. Okay? Because after Paul left the church, the Christians in Corinth, uh, there arose a lot of other pastors and apostles who were interested in money and power influence and they were sort of getting the Christians there to turn their back on Paul. And that was a the theme in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians as we see. Also, the Corinthian church had a lot of problems with sin. Uh, there was a lot of sexual immorality in the church. There were problems with idolatry, there were problems with division, lawsuits, all sorts of things. Now today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul turns to another issue in the church, which was the problem of giving. Giving, okay? Now again, uh, sorry for all the background, but a bit of background really helps us understand what the problem was all about. Because in, uh, if, you, if you look at this slide, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, again, I think three years ago for you guys, uh, Paul had written to the Corinthian church that he was collecting money for the poor Christians who were in Jerusalem. And not just among the Corinthian church, but in the book of Romans, we saw that he went to Rome, he went to Spain, he went to different places collecting money from the Christians because in Jerusalem they had suffered some drought or some hardship and he was collecting money so that when he went to Jerusalem, he could help the Christians there. So he had told the, 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 the Christians in Corinth that they were to collect money every week so that when he came, there would be a generous gift for him to bring to the Jerusalem church. Okay? So... Uh, unfortunately, by the time of the fourth letter, which we have here, the two Corinthians, it seems as if uh, the collection process had broken down. They had started giving money, but then over a couple of weeks, over a couple of months, they had stopped giving money, the collection had uh, dried up. So that's the context in which we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Right? This is the issue that Paul is talking about. They started giving, they wanted to give, but then they lost Steam, right? They, they, they stop giving. So in chapter 8, if you turn to me to your Bibles, Paul talks about uh, uh, his time with the Macedonian churches. So we presume at this time, 
he had been going through Macedonia and he wants to compare uh, the attitude of the Macedonian churches to themselves. So in verse 1, Paul writes to them, he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God had given, has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Okay, so if you look at this passage, um, what happened was, if you look here on this map again, right, we, we need to understand the context. Next slide. Next slide. Okay, so you see here Macedonia was on the north, Corinth was here. So Macedonia was made up of the churches in Thessalonica and Philippi. Uh, I, I don't have all the time to go through all the references, but if you look at the book of Thessalonians and Philipp- Philippians, you can see that actually uh, the Macedonian churches were, were very different from their southern brothers and sisters, in that they were poor. They experienced extreme hardship, extreme persecution. Whereas for whatever reason, in Corinth, they didn't experience uh, that sort of persecution. But, it says here, in verse 1, that God had given grace to the Macedonian churches. Now this word grace is very important, right? Because grace literally means uh, unconditional kindness, uh, freely given generosity, unmerited favour. And we often talk about God's grace as in, you know, God was gracious to you because He sent His Son Jesus to die for you, right? So grace can be God's generosity in giving you salvation. But here in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 onwards, grace is not just salvation in Jesus, God's generosity in saving you uh, unworthily, not because you deserve it, but in Jesus. But God also gives us grace when He gives us some spiritual gift some characteristic, some spiritual growth in our life. And here it says, in verse 1, that God gave grace to the Macedonian churches. And what was this grace? This grace was rich generosity. God gave this grace of generosity to the poor Macedonian churches. And even though they, were, they suffered extreme poverty, it says they're not just a little poverty, right? It says extreme poverty, right? Uh, it wasn't as if they couldn't afford their iPhone, right? You know, that sort of poverty. It was like they couldn't afford food, right? That sort of poverty. But even though they experienced severe trial and extreme poverty, they pleaded, they pleaded with Paul to give, and they gave. And they gave beyond their ability. So Paul, when he went to visit the Macedonians, because he saw their poverty, did not appeal to the Macedonian churches for financial giving, for the poor Jerusalem brothers and sisters, but they wanted to share in the privilege of serving those poor brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So this is what the the example of the Macedonian churches was. God had given them grace, the grace of rich generosity. Now he turns his attention back to Corinth, the Corinthian Christians. So in verse 6 he says, So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, 
in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. See, the Corinthian Christians, they excelled in God's grace of faith. Right? Because grace is a, faith is a grace of God as well. We, we, our faith doesn't come from ourselves, but it's given by God. So God gave them this growth in their faith. God gave them this growth in their speech, in the way that they taught one another and they evangelized. God gave the Corinthian Christians this grace of knowledge of God, you know, and understanding Him. But Paul says, you lack one thing. You lack the grace of generosity. That is where you're lacking. And that is where the Macedonians excel in. And he says to them, look, you need to not just excel in the knowledge of God, in your speech, in your faith, but if you want to call yourself a Christian, then you also need to excel in generosity. Now, as we look at ourselves, I think that's very real, isn't it? Because as Christians, what do we seek to excel in? We seek to excel in the growth of our faith, in Bible knowledge, reading the Bible, going to Bible study, listening to sermons. We want to excel in in our speech, in teaching well, in evangelism. But, But we forget that to be a Christian, to be God's people, we also need to excel in rich generosity. There was a a real example which saddened me many years ago where a Christian came to me and they had a medical problem. Medical problem. So I knew of uh, another Christian man who was an elder of a church. He was a specialist. And I said, okay, why don't you, uh, I'll give you this person's phone number. (coughs) Why don't you go and see this Christian doctor? and uh, see whether they can help you with your medical problem. So she organized to go and see this Christian doctor, the specialist. And the specialist saw her and said, okay, we need to operate. So I spoke to this Christian uh, lady later, and I said, are you going for the operation? And she said, no, I I can't afford the operation. The cost of the operation is too much. So again, uh, this time I I actually uh, picked up the phone and I spoke to this Christian brother and I said, you know, uh, this lady that you saw, I I, I referred her to you, she really needs this operation but she can't afford you because you're too expensive. Uh, Can you give her a discount? And he said, "Uh, no, that's the price, that's the fixed price. And I was really, really disappointed because this uh, Christian man is an elder of a church, He's he's a Bible study leader, and he's extremely rich. The land that his house sits in is bigger than the land which our church sits in. And yet he was unwilling to be generous to a fellow Christian sister who couldn't afford uh, this operation. And I, and I was thinking to myself, that's exactly what Paul is saying here, isn't it? Because the Corinthian Christians were amazingly rich. They were much, much richer than the Macedonians. And they wanted to excel in their faith, in their knowledge, in their... Uh, speech but they failed to see that they needed to excel in rich generosity and that's what Paul was challenging uh, the Corinthian Christians and saying look this is where you need to excel in as well then Paul goes on in the next section in verse 8 to say I'm not commanding you right? he says I'm not commanding that you must be generous but I want to test the sincerity of your love 
by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now again, we saw last week that uh, now that we are in uh, the time after Jesus, there is no law or commandment which says we must give 10%. And that's what Paul says here, isn't it? It's not a commandment that they must give, that they must give a certain amount. He doesn't say, no, I command you to give 10%. No, he says, look, this is what I want to, to advise you. And he says, first of all, I want you to test the sincerity of your love. And this is where it becomes a bit technical, right? So you really need to pay attention to the verse. He says, I want to test the sincerity of your love. Now, love for who? Love for whom, right? Sincerity for who? Now, if you look at the passage, it cannot, it cannot be that he wants, to, them to, he wants to test the sincerity of their love for the Jerusalem Christians. Because they do not know the Christ, Jerusalem Christians. And also, within the context of the passage, uh, there is no reference there of their love for the, uh, for the Christians in Jerusalem. But rather, he says, I want to test your sincerity of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Because that's the context of verse 8 and 9, that the subject here is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he wants to test the sincerity of their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, look, you say that you love Jesus, but, in verse 8, you are not earnest in terms of giving. So this word earnest, right, again, not the person earnest, right? The word here, earnest, right, is exactly the same word as in verse 7, right? It says that uh, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, it, with complete earnestness, you, 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 you seek to do this thing. Well, let me, let me test the earnestness of your life compared to the earnestness of the Macedonian churches. Because the Macedonians say that they love Jesus and they are earnest in their giving. You say that you love Jesus, but you're not earnest in your giving. So what he's saying is, if you, if you love Jesus, and you say you love Jesus, then you must be earnest in the way that you are generous. It is not an option, right? Because your words must reflect your love for Jesus. And it says there in verse 9, that look, you must be generous because Jesus was generous to you. Because Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now again, uh, it pays to really pay attention to what the Bible says. So you know verse 9, he keeps repeating the word, for you, Jesus was rich, but for your sake he became poor. For you, he, became, he, he took on poverty. So who was the recipient of God's uh, and Jesus' generosity? It was you, isn't it? Your sake. Jesus had the wealth, the overwhelming wealth of heaven and being God and everything that comes from being God. But yet he became poor to become a man, a poor carpenter, and he became so poor that he actually gave up his own physical life for us. That is unlimited generosity. So if you say that you love Jesus and you appreciate what Jesus has done for you in being unlimited in his generosity, then how can you not be generous to other people? Because it's not reflected in your life. You say you love Jesus, but it's not shown in your generosity. 
and the generosity that Jesus showed you. Now, again, in verse um, 11 to 12, we, we, we see the context of what was uh, happening, right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in the sense that they, they started giving, but they didn't finish the work. They began, but they didn't complete. And that's what Paul was saying, isn't it? You, 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 you've started the work, but you've not finished it. And I think he's put his finger on, on, on the problem, isn't it? Because many times, when we give money, we give out of guilt. So I, I, I know I, I, I felt the same thing, right? It's like, I come and bring, and we invite a missionary to come and preach at the front. And then for that week, you think, oh yeah, man, all those poor missionaries somewhere, and I give. Or, you know, there's a publicity about some poor person somewhere, you think, oh yeah, 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 I really need to give. But what Paul is saying is that our motivation for giving is not guilt. Right? We do not give out a guilt because, oh, we hear of some poor person and we feel guilty because you know, we didn't give. But then, thankfully, by next week we forget, right? We think about something else. What Paul is saying, what the Bible is saying is, our level of love for Jesus is always here, isn't it? Up here. So if our level of love for Jesus is always up here, then that means our level of generosity must always stay the same. Uh, Jesus showed us this level of generosity in our life, so our level of generosity must always be the same. It cannot be up and down, you know, here and there, based on how we feel, based on whether we feel guilty, because that was what was happening in Corinth. They sort of felt, you know, like, rah, rah, let's go for it, guys. Let's give. But then soon they forgot, isn't it? And what Paul was saying is, look, the love that you have for Jesus doesn't go up and down, and neither does the generosity Jesus showed you. That doesn't go up and down as well. So you need to give this consistently. Not because of the mood that you're in, or the guilty feelings, or you know, the occasion, but you need to collect week after week after week because of the love that you have for Jesus and because of the generosity Jesus showed you. Now in verse 11 to verse 15, uh, Paul wants to, uh, I guess, allay their fears that he's being unreasonable in asking them to give. Right, look at what it says in verse 11. This is a very important principle. He says there, right? Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your, your means. Now this is a very important principle. This is the key principle here, right? They are to give according to the means. They are means. If your willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So the principle here, and I think this is so important, is that they are to give according to their means. Now, as we said last week, that's why if you're, you're, you're a Christian today, uh, God's word is, seems to be very clear, isn't it? If you do not have the means to give, then there is no demand for you to give or to give so much. So, if you're poor, if you're struggling, sickness in the family, unemployment, uh, debt, uh, you know, some financial issue, financial crisis, there is no demand that the Bible, the New Testament, especially for us as Christians today, which says you must give your 10%, that you must 
be uh, burdened, or what it says here, that you must be hard-pressed to give what of what you do not have. See, I think one of the mistaken teachings of the church is almost as if, if you are poor, give and give and give until you have nothing left. Right? Give and give until, uh, you know, there is nothing left for you. So I think that um, people misuse uh, the passage in the book of Luke where Jesus teaches about uh, the widow's, uh, famously known as the widow's mite. Lah, okay? The mite is the smallest coin, right? So I think we looked at this a few weeks ago in Luke. But just to refresh your memory, next slide. Okay, remember this uh, incident where uh, Jesus was going around? So he's walking around the crowds. And when all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces. And have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places that honor, of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and make a show, uh, sorry, for a show, make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. As he looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts in the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow who put in two very small copper coins, which are the, the mites, lah, okay, the widow's mites. Um, I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, some people misapply this passage and say, okay, you must give and give and give until you have nothing. So, you know, you could be like living below the poverty line, you could be like giving, get, getting government subsidy, but you must still give. But that's not Jesus' point, you see. Uh, actually, the, the, if you look in your Bibles, there's a very, very unhelpful um, subtitle between chapter 20 and 21, right? And, and it sort of breaks up the, the, the incident, but actually they're all linked together. See, Jesus was using the generosity of the widow to shame the rich and the Pharisee. See, the, the Pharisee was actually greedy in his heart, remember? And the rich people were giving for show, but the poor widow was giving out of generosity. And he was using the example of the widow to say, look, if you're rich and you're the Pharisee, you should be generous. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's using the generosity of the Macedonian Christians, the poor Macedonian Christians, to shame the rich Corinthian Christians and say, look, if these poor people can be generous, then you can be even more generous. You must give according to what God has blessed you with. And that's why the principle here in verse uh, 10, 11 is so important, isn't it? Oh, sorry. Um, in verse 13 and 14 is so important that it's not that they want them to be hard-pressed, but rather that there might be equality. You see, it's, it's, it's so unfair, right? it's so oppressive that poor people are forced to give in order to enrich those who even have more than them. That's not very fair, isn't it? It's like, imagine someone who is who's just a street sweeper and you ask them to give a lot more than the rich person who gives less. That's not fair, isn't it? But that's what happens in, in many churches. You know, they say, oh, you must keep giving, giving until you have nothing left. So, you know, I've known of people who complain to me of how uh, one of their relatives uh, went to a prosperity gospel church and the, their daughter took a second job. And she's not a very high income earner. And out of the income of all 
that second job, she gave it all to the church. So she's working two jobs, and she's already poor, but she gives all the money of the second job to the church. I've heard of churches where, even where uh, people are poor, and they get allowances for the children or the wife to go and buy food, uh, the church says, oh, you must give money out of the allowance. But that's not fair, you see. Uh, that's not equality, that's oppressive, oppressive and that's cruel. But rather what it says here, what Paul is saying is, if God has blessed you with plenty, then you should give more than 10%. You can give 15%, you can give 20%, you can give 25%, because God has given you more to give, and you have the capacity to give more. See, I want you to look at the passage again, and pay attention to those words in verse 14, right? Where it says, Your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Now, um, the word plenty here, uh, and need, are actually, uh, in, in, in the original language, the word surplus and shortage. Uh, actually, I prefer surplus and shortage. Lah, because plenty is such an obscure term. Right? What's, what's plenty? I could drive a Lamborghini and I still feel like my life is you know, in shortage. I mean, I, I, I still, I'm still, still in need, right? Okay? But surplus is a much better word, isn't it? Because surplus literally means I have more than I need. So what he's really saying is, is, your surplus will supply what they are short of. And I think that's true, isn't it? Because uh, as a Christian, I can see that beyond a certain point, I have a surplus which I can help those who have a shortage. And that's why in verse 15, he uses the illustration from the book Exodus chapter 16, where when they went out to collect food, Every day that God gave them manna from the sky and they fed themselves, they, they took off all the manna, everybody had enough, isn't it? Uh, if you gathered a lot, you didn't have too much because it only lasted one day and that's all you could eat. If you gathered little, you didn't have too little because that's all you eat and you can't, eat, and you can't save it for tomorrow. And that's the principle, that, a biblical principle that Paul was trying to apply here and God applies. That among God's people, there should be enough for everyone. There should not be plenty for every one, a few group of people and hardly anything for some other people or nothing for some other people. So that's what Paul was saying, that the Corinthian Christians were very rich. They could afford to give a lot to help those in Jerusalem who didn't have enough. Now, I think for ourselves, that's what we have to ask ourselves. Do we, has God blessed us with a lot, with a surplus, and with that surplus, what are we doing with it? Are we hoarding it? Are we just using it to enrich ourselves or to find pleasure for ourselves while other Christian brothers and other Christian needs face a shortage? I remember when I went to Cambodia on a mission trip many years ago, I was preaching and there was a guy there sitting and he was sort of swaying, you know, like going to pass out like that. Now I'm used to uh, when people, when I'm preaching, sometimes people falling asleep, but I'm not used to people uh, passing out when I'm preaching, right? So I went to speak to him later and I said, are you okay? I mean, what, what, what's, you know, uh, he said, actually, I haven't had food the whole day. I haven't eaten breakfast or lunch or dinner because I just couldn't afford it. And I was thinking to myself, you know, compared to his shortage, I have such a surplus, isn't it? That here, I can not just eat three meals a day, but I can eat three expensive meals a day and he has no food. And, you know, isn't that what the Bible calls us to do? That with our plenty, our surplus, we can help the brother or the sister who has a shortage, who doesn't have enough, so that there may be equality. 
At the same time, I know of these missionaries uh, from America who have been serving many, many, many decades in Asia. And then when they went back to America for retirement, they realized that because the cost of living had gone up so much in America, that they were struggling to, to, with their retirement. They didn't have a place to live. They didn't have enough money. And they were sharing with me how disappointing it was because in the churches which they went to, people were so overwhelmingly rich. But yet they were not generous with these missionaries who didn't have enough to supply them in their old age after they'd been working out in the field for years and years. Uh, I have a true story of a classmate of mine in, in, in Australia. Now, um, there's, a, there's this thing that uh, in Australia, in, in, anyway, in the theological college where we, we went to, where they said, oh, you know, you must be very careful when you go work with some of the independent Chinese churches in Sydney. Okay, this is being recorded, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, so they said, you know why? Because the Chinese, some of the independent Chinese churches in, in Sydney have a reputation of being really, really stingy. Okay? And uh, they seem to have this mistaken belief that the pastors need to suffer. So anyway, my, my, my friend and his wife, and I think there are three children, uh, were, were part of this independent Chinese church. And uh, they were given a flat to live in. And uh, what happened was when, they, when the elder of the church brought them to this flat, uh, my friend's wife burst into tears because the, the, the flat was in such a bad condition. It was so small. And, uh, and, and it was, to me, it was really sad because uh, this church, or made out of Chinese, I mean, Chinese Christians are not poor in Sydney. I mean, they're generally really rich and they have mansions. And here were these Christians living in mansions. But they were putting uh, my friend in a really, really dingy flat. And I think that, you know, it's the same principle, isn't it? Because these people had a lot. They had surplus. But instead of being generous with their surplus, with those who do not have enough, they were hoarding it. And, uh, and that was not right, isn't it? So I think as we look at this passage, it's very important for us to consider our, our, own, our own status. How do we stand before God? Do we have a lot do we, have a, do we have plenty? Do we have a, a surplus? And are there people with a shortage that God calls us to help? Now the last section, verse 16 to 24, deals with the nitty-gritty and uh, the practicalities of uh, the collection. So if you look here, it says there that uh, Paul is actually going to send Titus and uh, two other brothers who are, are unknown to us down to Macedo- uh, from Macedonia to the Corinth to pick up the collection. Okay? Now, I want you to know what it says there in, um, in verse 19. All right? It says there, uh, what is more, all right, it says, uh, he, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and show our eagerness to help. Now this is just an aside because uh, it's not really the main point of what Paul is talking about. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, you'll notice that Paul in the Bible used three different terms to identify the financial giving. Right? So he uses the word giving a lot. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he uses the word collection a lot. Uh, not a lot, but he uses the word collection. And here, chapter 2, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 19, he uses the word offering. So you can see that actually, 
in Paul's eyes and the Bible's eyes, they all mean the same thing. They're all the means that our, the grace of generosity may be, may be actually practiced in the giving of money, in the collection of money, in the offering of money. So I think that these words are neutral words. They're not spiritual words in any way. He's not saying that the giving of money is, some, is like the, the special way that we honor God. It is like the, the main way that we honor God. No, it is just one way that we honor God. It is the grace of generosity that is expressed in the collection, the giving, or the offering. Now, we mustn't make the mistake to see that giving of money is the main way that we honor God and love Jesus. Now, when I went to Vietnam on the mission trip in Da Nang just a few months ago, I remember we went to this church service and they had a, a really interesting church practice. I, I, I like visiting churches because you see different things happening. So, at a particular time, obviously I can't understand what's happening because it's all in Vietnamese. They, they brought these um, big uh, wooden vessels. Or maybe they copied it from what Jesus talks about, the vessels right in, in, in the, the, the New Testament. But they brought these big wooden vessels about, like about this big shape like this. right? And they sort of passed it. You're supposed to put the money in. And you had all these people walking around, these big V-shaped things walking around. And then they would bring it right here, put all the vessels up, organize it in a very you know, nice, interesting way. And then the pastor would pray over all these vessels. And I sort of felt, you know, that was kind of like sending the wrong message because me as a visitor, not understanding language, and if I was just, uh, you know, walking off the street, I sort of feel like, wow, you know, something really special happened here because this is the main way that we honor God. And in fact, that was probably the message that was meant to be sent because the Vietnamese staff worker that we talked to said that, you know, part of the problem of the church uh, that church anyway in Vietnam was that they didn't excel in their faith. They didn't excel in their speech. There was no evangelism happening apparently. They didn't excel in the knowledge of, of God. They didn't read their Bibles or do Bible study, but they excelled in giving money. But that's not what Paul is talking about here, isn't it? Because we already saw that the Corinthians excelled in all these other ways. So giving of money is not the way that we honor God. It is just one way. And that's why he terms it as normal language, right? Collection, giving, Offering. These are just normal words. But the important thing in verse 16 to 24 is that they spend, Paul spends a great deal of thought and effort in terms of organizing and collecting the offering of the money. So he sends Titus. Okay? In verse 18, he sends another brother from Macedonia. And in verse 22, he sends another brother uh, to collect the money together. Now, why is it these three people were sent to collect the money? Is it because they were very big people? Is it because they played the, the Greek version of rugby? Right? Is it because they, 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 you know, they used to moonlight in the, as bouncers in Athens? No, right? If you look at all the descriptions, like verse 18, the brother that they're sending is praised by all the churches for his service in the gospel. In verse 22, the other brother is zealous and they have great confidence in him. See, the, you think about it, these three people, Titus and these two brothers, they will be so valuable in ministry, but yet Paul takes them out of ministry and sends them to collect the money. Why? Well, the key is in verse 20, uh, 20, 23, isn't it? Oh, sorry, in verse um, 20, 20 21, isn't it? We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, 
but also in the eyes of men. See, for Paul, there must not even be a hint of any scandal or problem when it comes to the collection of God's money. Okay, we're not going to talk about any court case that's happening at the moment, right? But it is really important that, 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 that God's people are always very take a lot of pains to do what is right in the eyes of men in terms of uh, money. I remember at theological college, they always told us over and over again, there are two ways that your church can be destroyed by your behavior. One is sex, and the other one is money. It's either money or sex. Right? Money or sex. Sometimes it's both together. Right? Okay? As you see in other court cases. Right? Now, that's the thing you see, it's so important that when it comes to money, that we must always be upfront and transparent. So I remember, I, I, again, I was uh, on a mission trip to the church in Melbourne, and uh, they had this big evangelistic event. And uh, the big evangelistic event took place in the school hall, and there was a, a collection or offering taken. So after the then, I asked, Where did, what happened to all the money? And the pastor, who was a, quite a young fellow, he was only like in his 40s, had taken it home and put it in his safe. But I said, look, nobody counted the money. Right, so if, if, if nobody counted the money, how do you know that he didn't take the money? And even if he didn't take the money, how would he be able to prove that he didn't? Because nobody counted the money. So I remember after the mission trip of one week, I, I, we were asked to fill out the feedback form. And that was the first thing I put down in the feedback form. And, and almost everybody in my mission trip also put down that feedback. That he shouldn't have taken the money and put it in the safe. He should have left other people to do it, maybe three or four people, and they could have counted the money and whatever, because the principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 was that they, they should seek to avoid any criticism in any way of the way that they handled the money. Money and sex it will always bring you down. right? So in conclusion, uh, let me ask you, as Paul asked the Corinthian Christians, uh, are you a generous person? Do you seek to excel in the grace of generosity. Uh, do you, do you, are you sincere in your love of Jesus Christ? Uh, if you're sincere in your love for Jesus Christ, then it says that you must be earnest in generosity. Uh, do you know the, the generosity that Jesus has shown you? If you know the generosity that Jesus has shown you, then you must be generous to other people. And I think last of all, you should give, like it says there, exactly in those words, according to what one has and not according to, one, to what one does not have. Especially if God has blessed you and He's given you the ability to be generous and to make a difference to your generosity, then you really should use the gifts that God has given you and align it with the grace of generosity and give even more and more so that there will be equality, there will be support, there will be I'm not going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but we'll look at it next week. But you know, in a sense, you must give so that the, the biblical principle that there won't be too much or too little will be there. Okay, so let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, help us to see from your word today how we may be lacking in the area of generosity how we may seek to excel in many other areas uh, and all worthwhile areas. But help us to see that if we say that we love your Son, that we have benefited from His generosity, we need to be generous to other people around us. 
help us to see that truly, even as the Jerusalem Christians were hundreds of miles away from the Corinthian Christians, unknown to them, completely foreign to them, that yet they are called to be generous. And the Corinthian Christians were called because of what you have done for them. Dear Father, may we also be the same. May we not be generous because of guilt. May we not be generous as a one-self thing. But help us to see that our faith in you, our trust in the death of Jesus, all these things compel us to be generous with the gifts that you have given us. Dear Father, we pray that you may give us the grace of rich generosity in our own personal lives, in the lives corporately as your people, as a church, to always be looking to see how with our surplus we can help those with shortage. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.